All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel uh, chapter number 14, and up to this point, we have basically been following uh, the aftermath of David's sin, and we've been watching David's children uh, begin to do those things, and Nathan said what happened in David's home, which is the sword shall not depart from thy house, and we saw Amnon, the eldest of David's children, uh, rate his half-sister Tamar, and then we saw Absalom take justice upon Amnon and have Absalom and have Amnon put to death. Now, I want you to understand, up to this point, we have not really seen Absalom do anything wrong. And that might not make sense, because you might think, well, he had his brother put to death. But I want you to understand, and I don't have time to show you this in Scripture. You can study this out on your own. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, God did place the death penalty upon rape. So the fact that Amnon was put to death is not necessarily a bad thing. That's what he deserved uh, for forcing his sister. And in the Bible, there was a position in in a family called a kinsman redeemer, or this was the one who was the avenger of blood. And it wasn't, it's not really like it is in America today where we have police officers that arrest people and we have a judge and then we have the, the, the government, you know, uh, do the avenging and do the punishment. In the Bible times, the people would do the avenging. The people would uh, take care of the justice. And often there was a person in the family whose job it was to avenge those that had either been, uh, you know, raped or had been killed or murdered. Now, usually it was supposed to be the eldest or the most successful. If you remember in the book of Ruth, you had, uh, you know, they were fighting over, not fighting over that position. They were fighting over who to not take that position, you know, uh, for Ruth and for Naomi. And, uh, and it should have been King David, but David chose to do nothing, and of course Absalom took that position of the avenger of blood. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing that he did, uh, it was just that David wasn't willing to do it. Uh, in this chapter, however, we see Absalom turn. In fact, at the end of the chapter, we see him burn Joab's field. We're not going to talk about that tonight. I'm actually going to preach a whole sermon about that next Wednesday, uh, lessons we can learn from the barley field being burnt there. But in this chapter, uh, what we can see is, is the beginning of the hatred between Absalom and David. And here's what happens. In chapter 15, the next chapter, uh, Absalom ex- executes a, a full-on war against David, his father. There's a civil war, and, and, and they start fighting. But before we get there, before we get there, uh, David lost the heart and the respect of Absalom. Now, I want you to keep your place there in 2 Samuel chapter 14. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter number 6. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. When you get there, do me a favor and put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. We're going to leave Ephesians. We're going to come right back to it. So I want you to be able to find it quickly. Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verse number 4. The Bible says this, and ye fathers... Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible specifically tells fathers to not provoke their children to wrath. Keep your place there in Ephesians, but flip a couple of books over to Colossians. You're there in Ephesians, you're going to go past Philippians into the book of Colossians. In Colossians, we have basically the same statement. 
changed a little bit. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21 says this, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And I think this is what David did as a father, is he provoked his children to wrath. He provoked his son to anger. And tonight, I want to just, as quickly as we can tonight, I want to give you just four thoughts from the chapter in regards to things that David did to provoke Absalom to, to wrath. We're basically going to study tonight how to get your children to hate you. How to get your children to come against you. How to get your children to dislike you. Because this is what David did. And this is where David failed. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to primarily be speaking to the fathers tonight. But this applies to any relationship, whether it's marriage or whether it's friendships or whether it's the church relationship. These principles are, are able to be applied in many different places. Keep your place there in Ephesians 6. Go, go back to 2 Samuel, but go to chapter number 13 and look at verse number 21. The first point I want to make tonight, the first thing that David did in order to cause Absalom to hate him, cause Absalom to be provoked to wrath or anger against his own father was this, David's inactive leadership. David's inactive leadership. See, David was just basically uninvolved. And in fact, when the whole, this whole episode began in 2 Samuel chapter 13, if you look at verse 21, the Bible says this, And when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. Remember, David got the news of what transpired between Amnon and Tamar. He heard about it, he was upset about it, yet he did nothing about it. See, David was uninvolved when it came to parenting. David was uninvolved when it came to fatherhood. David uh, did nothing to bring justice to his daughter Tamar, so Absalom did. David did nothing to bring justice on Amnon, so Absalom chose to step in. Now, when you go to 2 Samuel chapter 14, and you look at verse number 1, we continue to see David's inactive leadership. Notice verse 1. Now, Joab, remember Joab? He's the general. He's, he's, he's a professional friend of David. And Joab sent, uh, uh, the Bible says, the son of Zeruiah, perceived, notice what he perceived, that the king's heart was toward Absalom. David's heart was toward Absalom. David loved Absalom. In fact, later on in the book, when Absalom dies, David spends much time mourning Absalom and, and even, even more time than he, than he should have for his nation there. And he, he loved his son. His heart was towards Absalom. Notice verse two, uh, 2. And Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee feign. You see that word feign? says, feign thyself to be a mourner. He's saying, I want you to pretend to be a mourner and put on now mourning apparel. Anoint not thyself with oil, but as a woman that hath a long time mourned for the dead. Notice verse 3. And come to the king and speak on this manner unto him. So, notice this phrase, so Joab put the words in her mouth. And here's what I want you to understand. Not only did David do nothing in regards to bringing justice for Tamar, so Absalom stepped in and did that. He was inactive. But David also did nothing to reconcile his relationship with Absalom. So guess what? Joab stepped in and did. Joab is the one that calls this woman 
to bring a story to David to try to get, Joab is basically trying to do what Nathan did. Remember when Nathan shows up and he doesn't just tell David thou art the man, but he tells him a parable, he tells him a story, and then he gives him the application, he brings David to a place. That's what Joab is attempting to do. It doesn't work out as well as Nathan, but Joab is trying to get this woman to come and give David a story and then apply it to his own life. But here's what I want you to understand. David's heart was toward Absalom, yet David was an inactive uh, leader in his home. And I would submit to you tonight that the reason that Amnon ended up hating David, in fact, wanted to kill David and tried to take the kingdom from David, was because David was not involved, actively involved in the leadership of his children. He did not get involved when it came to disciplining Amnon. He did not get involved when it came to defending Tamar. He did not get involved when it came to being reconciled unto his son Absalom. David was just uninvolved. Can you make your way back to Ephesians chapter 6? Look at verse number 4 again. We looked at it just a minute ago, but let's look at it again. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But I want you to, we, we talked about that. Notice what he says. In order, to not, in order to not provoke your children to wrath, he says this, But bring them up. You see that phrase? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He said, I want you to bring them up in the, he says, the nurture, the admonition. Yeah, he says, I want you to nourish them. I want you to uh, give them advice. I want you to help them. But he says, bring them up. The idea there is that he's supposed to bring them up. This calls for action. This calls for involvement. And see, today we have many, in our society, we have many absentee fathers in America today. We have dads that are just not involved in the relationship of their children. And, and, and I've, I've, I'm not going to sit here and read all the statistics to you. I've done that many times. But children are way more likely to drop out of school when they don't have a father in the home. Children are way more likely to end up in prison when they don't have a father in the home. Children are way more likely to end up on drugs and alcohol uh, when they don't have a father in the home. And, 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 and we can understand that. But you know what? Sadly, today, even when the dads are physically present, they're often emotionally uninvolved. And you know what? I want to, and I want to talk to the dads tonight. Don't be the dad that comes home and instead of spending time with your wife, instead of spending time with your children, you, 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 you hop on the computer or you hop on whatever it is that you're doing. We've got all sorts of entertainment that can distract us. We've got all sorts of friends and hobbies and things. And look, I'm not saying that any of these things are, are, are wrong or necessarily there's not a place for them, but you need to make sure that you are involved. And that's what we were talking about on Sunday morning in the Family Integrated Sermon is this, that as fathers, as fathers in the home, we need men to take their rightful place to be involved and active leaders to their wives and to their, their children. Because today there's an attack on fatherhood. I mean, today you, there, there's an attack, there's an agenda by the media, by the government, by our society, by the women's live movement, by all of it, to, to tell men, you know, that you're not supposed to be the leader, you're not supposed to be in charge, you're not supposed to be, you know, a man, it's, wrong, it's bad to be manly, it's bad to be a man. We have all these attacks on manhood today, and, and, and men have just fallen hook, line, and sinker for it. I mean, the message on television, I remember when I was growing up, you know, the TV shows that were on all made the dads look like a bunch of fools, all made the dads look like a bunch of idiots, all made the dads look like incompetent, and we've fallen for it. 
And, and today of having men stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to lead my wife, I'm going to lead my children, you know, choose you this day whom ye will serve. I, I, I'm going to take the, the leadership role. Today we have men who are just not involved. And that's what David was. He hears about things going on with his children, he just kind of takes a hands-off approach. But you know what? If you do not take the place of leadership and actively get involved in the lives of your children, I'm telling you, your children will grow up to hate you. They may be kind to you. They may be nice to you. But they will not look back on their childhood as a positive childhood when they had a mom and dad that were more interested in other things. And look, this is the society we live in. I mean, today we've got all sorts of... Because the divorce rate in the United States of America, we're told is 60%, we've got most parents today more interested in their dating life and their social life than their children. Because of things like the public school system, where you get to drop off your kids at a government institution for seven to eight hours, and then there's a, you know, after-school program and a before-school program and a you know, weekend program, you know, and we just leave our children off to the government. There is an agenda today to separate parents from their children, to keep moms and dads from being actively involved. And listen, you and I need to decide as Christian parents that we're going to be as involved, as active, as possible in the lives of our children, or we will end up losing their hearts. And that's why children today grow up. They turn 18 and 19 years old. They leave the the church. They don't come back to church. They don't come back to religion. They go off to the world. Say, why? Because we do a very poor job at keeping their hearts. Look, Look there at 2 Samuel chapter 14. The first thing we see was that David was inactive in his leadership. And by the way, being an active participant is needed in every relationship whether it's marriage. Look, marriages don't stay on course. Marriages don't stay good, you know, without there being a wife or a husband who's actively trying to make the relationship better. You've got to invest in that relationship. You have to invest in your marriage. You have to invest in your child ring. You have to invest in friendships. You know, you have to invest in church relationships. Did you know that? You don't get to just come to church three times a week and think, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, uh, everyone's just going to be great. Everyone's going to be my friend. And then people sit there and wonder, you know, well, why, why do I have no friends at church? You've got to invest in that thing. A man that has friends must show himself friendly is what the Bible says. And every relationship needs someone to step in and say, I'm going to be involved. I'm going to be active in this thing. I'm going to help this thing be what it should be. Look at verse 4 there. And when the woman of Tekoa spake to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and did obeisance and said, help, O king. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman, and mine husband is dead. And thy handmaid had two sons. Notice her story is very similar to the situation that David's in. She says, Thine handmaid had two sons, and uh, they two strove together in the field, and there was none to part them, but the one smote the other and slew him. She says, One of my sons killed another one of my sons. This is David's life. Notice verse 7. And behold, the whole family is risen against thine handmaid. And they said, Deliver him that smote his brother, that we may kill him for the life of his brother whom he slew. And we will destroy the heir also. And so they shall quench my coal which is left and shall not leave to my husband neither name nor remainder upon the earth. Here's, she's basically saying they're going to take you know, the last son I've got, there's going to be no one to carry on the name. She's also stating here, there's going to be no one to take care of me. She's saying, who's going to take care of me as an older woman who will care for me? Notice verse 8. Just notice David's attitude. He's just uninvolved. He just 
doesn't care. Notice what he says. And the king said unto the woman, go to thine house and I will give charge concerning thee. He says, okay, I'll get back to you. He said, go, and, and you know, he's kind of like a judge, you know, in the United States of America. You know, you go to court today. You think that when you go to court, you think the judge is going to just tell you right then, like, guilty, not guilty, right? But it doesn't work that way. You know, they're like, in 45 days, you'll hear from us. We'll let you know, you know. And it's like, and that's what David's doing. He's just kind of like, go, just go away. Okay, I will give charge concerning thee. Notice verse 9. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, my lord, O king, the iniquity be on me. So she, she's like, I can't just let this go. She says, I need, I need an answer right now. She says, oh, the iniquity be on me and on my father's house and the king and his throne be guilty. She, she's saying, if you're worried that you're going to make a bad decision here, king, just put it on me. Let, let the guilt be on me. She says, but I need a decision now. Look at verse 10. And the king said, whosoever saith aught unto thee, bring him to me and he shall not touch thee anymore. Then said she, I pray thee, let the... King, remember the Lord thy God that thou wouldest not suffer. She's saying, don't allow the revenger of blood. Remember we're talking about the revenger of blood, the avenger, the kinsman, redeemer, whatever. Not suffer the revenger of blood to destroy anymore, lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. So he says, okay, fine. I'll protect your son. He won't be put to death. Notice verse 12. Then the woman said, let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto my Lord the king. And he said, say on. So she gets the answer she wants. And then she says, okay, can I say one more thing? And he says, go ahead. Look at verse 13. And the woman said, wherefore? The word wherefore means for what reason? She says, for what reason then hast thou, uh, hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty, and that the king doth not fetch home again his banished. Here's what she's saying. She's saying, why, David, would you bring back my son, who you don't know, who, by the way, is a made-up story, doesn't even exist. Why would you forgive my son? Why would you take the time and effort to avenge my son and protect my son and help me with my son and you not be willing to do it for your own son? He said, look, look at the last part of verse 13. As one which is faulty and that the king doth not fetch home again his banished. So we see, number one, David's inactive leadership. Let me give you a second reason tonight why Absalom was provoked to wrath, why Absalom hated David. Not only was, da- was it because of David's inactive leadership, but number two tonight, because of David's impartial treatment. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 14. Remember, this, this woman is speaking, and she makes a couple of wise statements, which is interesting because at the beginning chapter, the Bible tells us that Job called a wise woman, and she uh, ends up being a wise woman. She actually makes, even though she's lying to David, she actually makes a couple of wise statements. Notice what she says in verse 14. She says, for we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground. She's saying, David, you're running out of time. She said, David, you're going to die. And she says, David, our lives, it's interesting, the state, she says, our lives are like water spilt on the ground. Now, I won't do it tonight, but I could use the illustration. You know, I've got a cup of water here. Usually I have a bottle of water, but maybe it was of God. I'm going to throw this on Evan. I'm just kidding, you know. But, but here's the thing, you know, he, she's saying our lives are like, if I was to spill this water, and I told Evan or I told Salvador, hey, I want you to pick that water back up and put it in the cup. You say, well, we can't do it. Once it's spilled, it's done. 
She's telling David, hey, your, your life, David, is like water spilt on the ground. She said, you're, you're wasting time being angry at Absalom, being angry about your situation, being upset, doing nothing, and you're losing time that you cannot gather back. She said, you're not going to be able to get that time back. And I would submit to you tonight, mom and dad, while you're wasting time with your precious children, realize that that time that God gave you with your kids, you cannot get back. It's a short amount of time you have. Make sure you don't waste your time. He says, for we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Notice what she says. She says, neither does God respect any persons. See, she says, you know, David, what you're doing is showing favoritism. He said, what you're doing is you're showing favoritism when you choose to discipline and come down hard on Absalom and yet you chose to do nothing about Abner. And she says, you know what? God does not show favoritism. God does not show respect of persons within his family. And you know, we as parents need to be careful that we do not show favoritism within our own families. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel. Go to Genesis chapter number 25. Genesis chapter number 25. We will set up our children to hate us if we play favorites with our children. And you say, well, who, who plays favorites with their children? Well, you'd be surprised. Genesis 25 and verse 27, we have a very clear example of this. Genesis 25 and verse number 27, notice what the Bible says. Genesis 25 and verse 27, the Bible says, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Notice what the Bible says, And Isaac loved Esau because he, had, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And if you remember, Jacob ended up conspiring with his mother against her, his own father. And here they were showing faith because Esau had more in common with Isaac and Jacob had more in common with Rebekah. They ended up having favoritism. They ended up, you know, showing more favor, showing respect to persons. And here, here's the point that you need to understand. As parents, we should never allow our children to come between you and your spouse. Look, it should never be you and the kids versus mom, or you and the kids versus dad, or or you and the grandparents versus mom, or you and the grandparents versus dad, children. Look, as moms and dads, you need to have a fortified front against the parents. It should be mom and dad versus the kids, all right? You know, that's the battle should be. There should never be a time, and this is one of the greatest problems with divorce is that as soon as people end up getting divorced what happens the children play mom and dad versus each other oh really well dad bought me you know and mom's taking me on this trip and it's not a healthy place to be when you've got children getting between a husband and a wife and here we have Esau and Jacob and and we've got the story here of, of 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 David showing Partiality, David showing respect to persons. Keep your place there. Go to James, or I'm sorry, you can lose your place there in Genesis. Go to James chapter number two. James chapter number two, there in the in the New Testament. James chapter two, right after the book of Hebrews, you got the book of James, and you got first, second Peter, first, second, third John, Jude, and Revelation. Right towards the end of Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis of the New Testament, you've got James chapter number two. Look at verse number one. Let me say this: We should not show respect to persons in any area. Not, yet, not only with our children, but in, in any area. And by the way, in, in the church setting, it's very easy to show respect to persons. 
It's, easy, it's very easy to look down on certain people or look up to certain people. And the truth is we need to be wary of that. James chapter 2, notice what the Bible says, My brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with, notice this phrase, respect of persons. Isn't that what the wise woman said? She said, she said that neither doth God respect any persons. And here we're being told, hey, don't have the faith of our Lord with respect to persons. Look at verse 2. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in uh, goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves? and are become the judges of evil thoughts. You know, you have to be very careful in the church setting to develop this mentality like, oh, we like these people, or we like these types of individuals, or, you know, I've got, you know, we need to be just very careful to love everyone, to respect everyone. We understand you're not going to be best friends with everyone. You're going to have people that you have better friends with, and I get that, but you want to be very careful to not develop this click mentality within church. Where it's like, it's us four and no more. You know, it ought to be everyone. Everyone ought to be accepted. If there's any place that people ought to feel accepted, is the local New Testament church. And we ought to embrace people and love people and be here for people. And within your own family, you ought to make sure that you're never... You say, well, I'm not partial with my children. Well, make sure that your children never feel like you're being partial with them. Sometimes you're, you're not, being, you're, you're not be having respect to persons, but you may be perceived. You know, one of the things my wife and I uh, struggle with, not, not struggle, that's the wrong word, but something we take very seriously in ministry is to try to make sure that people don't feel like we play favorites or that we have respect of persons or that we have favoritism. With, with. Sometimes, you know, we have to tell people, you know, we, we can't do that and here's why. If we do it for you, we have to do it for everybody. Because we're not willing to make a favor or make an exception for one person or two people because the first thing people want to accuse a pastor or pastor's wife is, you're playing favorites. So, you know, but in your own life, you got to be careful. Even with your own children, you got to be very careful to make sure that they don't feel like you're giving better treatment to one or better treatment to another or, or treating them in different ways because that's a good way to get them to a place where they actually will hate you and actually resent you for it. So we see David's inactive leadership. We see David's impartial treatment. Go back to 2 Samuel 14. Look at verse 14 again. 2 Samuel 14 and verse 14. The Bible says, For we must needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person. So we saw the impartial treatment. But then we see also the imbalanced discipline. Notice what he says. Yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. Now here's another great wise statement that this woman makes. She says, God devises means that his banished be not expelled from him. She said, God has people that are banished also. And God has sat there, and I like this term, devised means. You know what that means? He said, God figured out a plan. God figured out a way to return those that are banished, to reconcile those that are banished unto him. And I don't have time to preach on that one verse, but you know that, she's talking about the gospel. She's talking about salvation. The Bible says that our sins have separated us from God. It is because of our sins that we are separated. It is because of our iniquity that we are separated. See, Satan, the Bible says that hell was created for Satan and his angels. But God cannot lie. And Satan understood this. He understood if I can get man, if I can get woman to sin against God, 
then they, then God will have to give them the same punishment that he gave me. God will have to give them the same punishment that he's designed for us. And Satan's attempt at Adam and Eve was to put God in a catch-22. Where basically if God said, I will not punish Adam and Eve, he would have to say, I will not punish Satan. Because the wages of sin is death. And you say, well, what did God do about it? God devised a plan. God, you know, God figured out a way to forgive and to reconcile and to bring back his banished unto him without, of course, lying. And how did he do that? He, God became man. God took the punishment for sin. God took the punishment of Adam and Eve. And that's what she's referring to. She says, look, God, does, he devised means that his banished be not expelled. She's saying even God goes out of his way to reconcile himself with those. You know, God figured out a way to reconcile himself with sinners, David, and yet you have not done that. And again, we see his imbalance. Because here's the problem with David. He's too weak, right? Tamar is about to be forced. And what does she say to her brother Amnon? She says, you know my father won't withhold anything from you. You know my father will give you anything you want. He's too weak. He's too lax. After Amnon does the sin, he refuses to step in. He refuses to discipline. He refuses to do anything. But then Absalom takes it upon himself to bring justice on Amnon. And then what does David do? He goes a little too strong. Now he's, you know, taking it to another extreme. He's not balanced in his discipline of his children. You know what? In my life and in your life as parents, we need to make sure we are balanced when it comes to how we deal and discipline with our, uh, discipline our children. Go to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, you're there in 2 Samuel. You're going to go past 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs 13. See, something that parents do often is they'll either go too weak or they'll go too strong. You know? You need to figure out a way to be balanced with your children. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. That's what the Bible says. And by the way, when you hate your sons, they'll end up hating you. But he that loveth them, chasing them, be times. The word be times means early. Earlier is better with disciplining kids. It's much easier to discipline a 7-year-old than a 17-year-old. It's much easier to discipline a 9-year-old than a 19-year-old. He says, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chaseth him three times. Do that in Proverbs 13. Go to Proverbs 23. Look at verse 13. Proverbs 23 and verse 13. Just a few pages over. Proverbs 23 and verse 13. The Bible says this. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Here God is telling us, don't, don't fall into this thing that I'm just going to spare the rod. I'm just going to withhold correction. No, be consistent in your discipline. You need to be consistent in how you discipline your children. And, and not just in, in disciplining them, but also how you discipline. You know, I'm just talking about practically now. When you spank your children, which that's what the Bible talks about here, is about, he says, spare not the rod. He said, with no lot correction from the child, if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Now, of course, the Bible uses the term beat there. You, today in our society, the term beat you know, brings up all these negative connotations. We're not talking about child abuse. And let me say this. When you're spanking, when you're disciplining your children, there's never a need to hit them in the face, okay? There's never a need to hit them in multiple places in the body. You know, God made a location on a child's body with a little bit of cushion and a lot of nerves. And it's a perfect place to spank and discipline a child. 
You know, and if you're the type of parent that just gets so angry and mad and you're just like wailing on your child, you need to stop. Okay, you need to calm down. You need, you're going to provoke your children to wrath is what you're going to end up doing. All right? And you need to make sure that you are correcting properly and correcting consistently and make sure, you know, when you spank them. Here's, here's what I've noticed. New parents tend to spank a little too weak. You know, it's like, and, and they usually think they're really. I mean, it's like they've got their little child, and it's like, you know, and it's like, you're like, you're really expecting like, oh, man, they're going to, and it's like nothing, you know. And if you're spanking through a diaper, okay, that doesn't work. You're spanking through a pull-up, that doesn't work. But then, you know, parents that have a lot of children, they end up going on the other extreme, you know, because they're like, they're on a hair trigger, you know what I mean? They're just like, eh. you know, you just got to be careful. Make sure you're balanced with your children. But let me say this. You got to be balanced in all areas of life. You know, the worst thing you could do for your child is one year to just be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We read the Bible. We pray. We homeschool. We this, we that. And then the next year, oh, dad got backslidden. Oh, mom got backslidden. Now I'm going back into public school. Now we're not going soul winning. Now we're Sunday morning only. Hey, you're going to make your kids not only hate you, but hate God. You better make sure you live a consistent life. And when you take steps of growth, we're not saying stay lame. Take steps of growth, but make sure you decide you're going to be right with God for the next 20 years. Make sure, you know, make sure there's not drastic changes in your life. And when you do make those drastic changes, hey, have some grace with your children. Realize that they, they are taking those things in. want to live a balanced life. Want to make sure we're balanced with our children. David was imbalanced in his life. At one point, he was called the sweet psalmist of Israel. At one point, he was a man after God's own heart. Another point, he's committing adultery, having a man put to death. I mean, talk about imbalance. And his children are just like, which, which David do we follow? The one that loves God or the one that loves himself? And they ended up hating him as a result of it. So we see David's inactive leadership. We see David's impartial treatment. We see David's imbalanced discipline. Let me give you the last one. We'll finish up. 2 Samuel 14, look at verse number 15. 2 Samuel 14 and verse number 15. The Bible says, Now therefore, that I am come to speak to this thing unto my Lord the King, it is because the people have made me afraid. She says, this is why I came. The people made me afraid. Now the people that made her afraid are Joab, all right? But he says, the people have made me afraid. And thy handmaid said, I will now speak unto the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his handmaid. For the king will hear to deliver his handmaid out of the hand uh, of the man that would destroy me and my son together out of the inheritance of God. Then thy handmaid said, the word of my Lord the king shall not be comfortable. For as the angel of God, so is my Lord the king to discern good and evil therefore the Lord thy God will be with thee then the king answered and said unto the woman hide not from me I pray thee the thing that I shall ask thee and the woman said let my Lord the king now speak so David said okay that's great I just have one question let me ask you one question verse 19 that's what David says to her and the king said is not the hand of Job with thee and all this he said did Job put you up to this and the woman answered and said as thy soul liveth my Lord the king None can turn to the right hand or to the left from aught that my Lord the king had spoken. For thy servant Joab, he bade me, and he put all these words in, my, in the mouth of thine handmaid, to fetch about this form of speech, hath thy servant Joab done this thing. And my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know all things that are in the earth. So that's a really long way of her saying, yes, you know, he did. But she's trying to like be all nice and poetic about it, you know, because she thinks she's going to get in trouble. Look at verse 21. And the king said unto Joab, 
Behold, now I have done this thing. Go, therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. I want you to notice, we saw, number one tonight, uh, David's inactive leadership. And we saw, number two, David's impartial treatment. We saw his imbalance. But I want you to notice the the last thing is that we see an incomplete forgiveness. Because notice what David does. He says, go ahead and bring. Notice the last part, verse 21. Bring the young man Absalom again. And Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And, and Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, now notice what he says. He says, Let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. David says, Go ahead and bring him. But I don't want to see him. Go ahead and bring him. But I don't want to have a relationship with him. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. But in all Israel there was none to be so much as praised as Absalom for his beauty, for the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head. There was no blemish in him, and when he pulled his head, for it was every year's end that he pulled it, because the hair was heavy on him. Therefore he pulled it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. He cuts his hair once a year, because he grows so much hair. And you know, getting a, getting a man's haircut is going to, the fact that he didn't get a man's haircut is going to come to bite him here in, in a little bit. But look at verse 27. And unto Absalom there were born three sons, and the one daughter, whose name was Tamar, she was a woman of fair countenance. And you can tell how this whole ordeal with his sister Tamar really affected him, because he even names his daughter Tamar after his sister, you know, as kind of a memorial to her. Look at verse 28. So Absalom went, dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Now, go, go to Matthew Chapter number 18. We're going to finish up here in like five, ten minutes. But here's what I want you to understand. David was not willing to grant complete forgiveness and reconciliation. He did it for show. He said, go ahead and bring him back so the people know, so Joab knows, so this woman knows. But he says, you know what? I don't want to talk to Absalom. I don't want anything to do with him. David was not willing to grant the complete forgiveness and reconciliation. But here's what you need to understand. God is not this way. See, when God, complete, God completely forgives you and I, and He completely restores you and I, and the biblical principle is this, that we ought to forgive as Christ and as God hath forgiven us. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23, you find one of the most compelling stories to this idea. Matthew 18 and verse 23, the Bible says this, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. This is Jesus teaching on the subject of forgiveness. And He says, It's likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down. Get the picture. The servant fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. So the king says, you know what? I'm moved with compassion. Let him go. I forgive him all his debt. Look at verse 28. But the same servant, the one that was forgiven, went out. And found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Isn't that familiar? Notice verse 30. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou this desire, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as, you see those words, even as I had pity on thee. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your heart forgive not everyone his brethren their trespasses. Here's what he's saying. When you refuse to forgive others, he said you're like this wicked servant who received a great forgiveness from the king and then you're, willing, you're, you're not willing to impart that same forgiveness to others. And this passage, is, this, this parable is not teaching that you can lose your salvation, but I will tell you this. You want God to be short with you? You want God to come down hard on you? You want God to just be on a short fuse with you, and every time you mess up, every time you make a mistake, he just comes down hard on you? You want God to judge you that way? Then you judge others the same way. Amen. Then you just be willing to not forgive. You just be holding grudges. You just turn bitter. You just say, well, I'm just never going to forget. I'm just never going to get over it. I'm just never. That's how God will treat you. You want God to be gracious with you? You want God to be patient with you? You want God, when you mess up, when you make mistakes, when you sin, when you do stupid things, you want God to, 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 with, to have mercy on you? Then you do the same to others. With what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again, is what the Bible says. And here you have David, who just did a huge sin and had God forgive him. And had God reconcile him. And he's saying to Absalom, go ahead and come back, but I don't want to see you. And you know what God's trying to teach us is, David, is that how God treats you? Is that how God forgives you and I? Is that how God forgives and reconciles us? See, the Bible says this, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth by your friends. If you want to destroy a relationship, be the wife, be the husband, be the father, be the mother, be the friend, be the pastor, be the church member, be whatever relationship you want to apply this to. Be the one who's constantly bringing, well, you remember when you, God didn't do that to us. And look, there's a time to deal with sin. There's a time to deal with, with, with confession. We get that. We're, I'm not talking about, you know, just ignoring sin. God doesn't do that either. But once you've forgiven your son, once you've forgiven your daughter, don't be the type of parent who's just constantly just bringing up, do you remember last year when you, you didn't brush your teeth and now, you know, you didn't do this or you didn't do that or you failed this class? Hey, we ought to be careful not to be that parent, not to be that spouse that's constantly holding things over other people. I and mean, that's what David's doing. And by the way, that's why timeouts, that's why, you know, What's that other um, grounding? I never got a ground. I, I wish I would have got grounded. I got beat, you know, to use a Bible word. But, you know, that's why groundings are just unscriptural. Because where in the Bible does, you know, it's like, okay, I'm gonna, the way I'm going to discipline you is I'm going to just not let you forget your trespass for the next seven days. For the next seven days, we're going to talk every day about the bad thing you did. God isn't like that. You know, that's why spanking is scriptural because you just deal with it and then you move on. It's settled. It's done. And that's how God treats you and I. He sometimes deals with it, we confess it, and then we move on. And you know what? If you want to destroy a relationship, practice incomplete forgiveness. Practice this forgiveness. You say, well, I'm going to forgive them, but I'm just never going to. I'm all, you know, I, don't talk to me. 
We can sit in the same row at church, but don't talk to me. You know, we, we, here, David says, come back to Jerusalem, but I don't want to see your face. See, David ended up losing his children, and specifically Absalom, and ended up having Absalom hate him. In the next chapter, in the next chapter, we're going to see Absalom try to kill his dad, try to do all sorts of evil and wicked things towards his dad. But David had a role to play in it because the Bible says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And we need to be very careful the way we treat our children to make sure we develop and cultivate good relationships with them. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly